Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined, as always, by Brian Gottlieb. And we have some news. I don't want to say exciting news. With the Daily MTG live stream about the Arena economy, which I'm sure if you did not watch it, if you're on Twitter and I'm sure like Reddit and other places, you probably have a pretty good under understanding of what happened. But uh, some some housekeeping first, Brian. Oh, please, please do tidy up. Don't let me get in your way. We streamed the Neon Dynasty set championship last yeah, yeah. weekend. Yeah, lots of streaming. It was hours and you especially way more than me. Hours and hours of streaming. Those events are longer than it feels like when you're just like sitting on the couch or whatever. Yeah. Or or you get to take breaks to go do stuff. Uh, it was 26 hours total in three days, which is a lot. And especially from someone who was like, I'm pretty sure if I stream again, I can't go eight hour days anymore. I'll have to do it like five or six. And then it was just like, I, I, you know, blinked and 10 hours had passed, you know? It was fun. I, I had a good time. Uh, I, I think the vibe was good. You know, it wasn't like, we didn't try and do commentary or anything like that. Just, no, just chilling. the games, hung out, told stories, talked to chatters and, uh, it was good. It seemed like people had a good time. I had a good time. It was a nice way to to watch some of a PT that I had like very little interest going into it. You know, I, I don't think I really would have even bothered if not for being able to do it with the company of our viewers. So that was cool. Yeah, agreed. I will say that you were you were there for like half the time or a little bit more than half the time. Okay. I would right. say I would lean towards a little bit less than half the time, but right around oh. half sounds good. Okay. Well, I guess were you there at all on day two? I think I popped in. Okay. I think I started the day with you on day two and then disappeared pretty quickly. Okay. So yeah, I was, I was there for a long time. You're like, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was chill. And I'm just like, I was there for like twice (laughs) as much as you. I was Uh, chained to the computer suffering. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah. But no, it was cool. Folks were very supportive. The, The numbers were pretty solid. And then I streamed again on Tuesday. That was mm-hmm. pretty good. You also showed up for that. Had yep. to like coerce you or strong arm you. I don't know. Uh, bribed. I mean, I, I got bribed with likes, which is my chief currency these days. I, I mostly traffic in likes. So you give me enough likes and I'm I'm down to do anything. So Yeah, and that went pretty well. And then I think I'm going to stream tomorrow, which is Friday, which is probably the day that this podcast is going to go up. So we'll see how I'm feeling. I didn't commit to that. So it's it's always dangerous. You know, I can very easily just like slip out of it. But I'm I'm kind of like overwhelmed with the reception from like the last four. And it's it's been super positive. So uh, the folks definitely know good ways to incentivize me. Yeah, it makes it real easy when people are uh, appreciative of what you're doing. And that's that's just the biggest vibe I get from the work we're doing right now is people seem truly and genuinely appreciative. I think they realize like most of what we're doing right now, we went from like having paid content on a very fixed schedule where we knew how many dollars we were taking away to just kind of making content to make content and hope, hoping the money side works out on the back end. And, and people seem to get that and they are very thankful and appreciative that we're still taking the time to put stuff out for them. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I tried to iterate how much this whole endeavor means to me just being able to continue to make content as a career and be creative and try and teach people and stuff like that. And it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to explain in just a couple of sentences, you know, it's just, it's, like, it's so, it's so much. Right. And I, I do want to stress that this, this does kind of mean everything to me. Like I, I could very easily go get a job in game design or whatever, you know, but I, I don't want to because I enjoy this so much better. Yeah. And I, it's hard to, to think about what I would do if not for this. Like it has just kept me sane through a very trying period, gave me a purpose where I would have had none. So, I mean, all those things I am incredibly grateful for. Same. So reasonable segue into what you got going on this weekend. Going to do some coverage, some flesh and blood coverage. And I am I am stoked. Uh, going to be working with Craig Kremples again, which is super exciting. You know, I, I have hardly talked to Craig since the pandemic started, which is weird for someone I spent most of my weekends with. And that's not to say, like, it's anyone's fault. It's just, you know, I, I think Craig is, like, not a super online person where I am a super online person. And that's where I do most of my communicating. So I, I miss Craig. It's going to be good to connect with him again. Uh, it's going to be fun to work with Tan and Grace for the first time. 
Tannen, of course, I've known for years from the SCG tour and very experienced broadcaster in his own right, did a bunch of work around Hearthstone, has done flesh and blood stuff before. So uh, it's going to be cool to work with him for the first time. And of course, the people at SCG, uh, you know, folks like producer Rob and uh, all the people who just were like so integral to everything we did working behind the scenes, Jeremy, these folks you don't really know are putting so much into these broadcasts, but they just can't happen without them. And they're also a pleasure to work with. So I get to work with all of them again. I'm stoked about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a, a very, very solid crew. Yep. Which is not something you would necessarily expect from what is very much like a, a burgeoning TCG, you know? No, absolutely. I, I think like it's a, you know, you, you do these new endeavors, you're like, okay, well, you know, you're not going to get the most experienced folks as everyone gets their feet under them and the space starts to form. But there's just this whole team of really, really experienced professionals ready to step up and do the work. So I think it's going to lead to a great broadcast. And uh, Flesh and Blood is also in like a really good spot right now, a really interesting spot. Uh, and a really competitive spot where the games are super decision intensive. They're really interesting. There's there's high points. There's slower points. So I'm really excited to see how the product comes across on stream. Uh, it's it's going to be tough for folks who don't like have their feet under them. I mean, just think about watching Magic if you don't know a lot of what's going on. I'm going to do the best I can to get first time viewers up to speed and enjoying it. But there's a challenge there, no doubt. I hope there's something, though, that people can take away from the broadcast. Yeah, it should be cool. I hope it goes really well. I mean, obviously, I so I, obviously, I'd like to keep you employed. You know, yeah. that that would be great. But also, I would like to see the game succeed. So. Yeah, same. And, I, you know, I think there's room for both. And if the game does succeed, uh, that's that's what it takes to get Jerry Thompson involved. That's, that's what I've heard on the street. The game succeeds for long enough. Jerry shows up. More or we'll less. Do, yeah. We'll do stuff together and it'll, it'll be dope. More or less. Uh, so arena economy news. The the short version is not Get much. Fucked. Well, yeah, that's that's the, that's the, the very, very short version. That's the very, very short version. The short version is like nothing super important changes. Yep, I, I agree. I Which, mean, marginal. I would say the most marginal quality of life upgrade you could possibly get that will apply in some very specific situations, but ultimately doesn't change the way you'll engage with the platform whatsoever and does nothing to address the overwhelming concerns everyone has. So let's, let's talk about one of the big things. Now you can buy wild cards for money. So for 50 United States ducats, you can acquire 12 rare wild cards and four mythic rare wild cards. That is a pretty big ask versus just like you know selling a single rare like they would you know a single booster for a thousand gold or something Mm -hmm. like that and then you start looking at the math and it's really not that good um because on average if you get fifty dollars worth of boosters and just open them you will get eight or nine rare wild cards and like three to four mythic rare wild cards based on like vault progress and the uh wild card progress and just like opening them in boosters right so you're say say you uh run kind of bad and you get like eight and three, uh so you're down four and one. Well, I think with the like, you know, fifty other rares and mythics you opened and whatever vault progress you got off your commons and uncommons and stuff like that, it's like it just seems like a better value to open packs regardless. Yeah. It's uh giving us the thing we asked for with like a smirk. On their face. That's the way I take it. Dude, it's a monkey's paw, man. The monkey's paw always gets me. I mean, everything related to magic recently has been monkey's paw-esque just over and over and over. And it's so demoralizing and exhausting. I I mean, I'm kind of stealing this bit from Gregor Skowalski. I saw him post it on Twitter do, do you know what kind of gaming experiences you can buy for $50? Yeah, a lot. Uh, he mentioned like Elden Ring, $50. Hundreds right? of hours. Hundreds of hours. You know what game I've been playing a bunch recently? Lost Ark. I love it. I think it's great. Do you know how much money I've spent on it? Well, how much money you've spent uh, or how much money someone could spend? Because I know it's, it's free. It's it's free. I've gotten by with $0. I have 110 hours in, which is just a metric ton for me when it comes to a game. I, yeah. I move through games very quickly. So that's, that's $0, uh, 110 hours. 
and I've I've loved it. It's it's been outstanding. Now, can you spend thousands of dollars in that game? Oh yeah, and and streamers are definitely doing it. But can you also just get incredible value at zero cost whatsoever? Yeah, and there's so many gaming experiences like that in this space. And to me, this disconnect over what like the digital experience is worth versus what they're offering stems from continually trying to tie the value of a digital magic card back to a physical magic card because that that's the premise under which magic online launched like it, it was the same price for a digital booster as a real life booster and at it, the moment it changed when they updated msrp and stuff too it it did yes and at the moment magic online launched that was laughable it's it seemed like a joke like why would you ever pay that much for something digital when you could just have the physical thing instead and ultimately uh the business model proved successful well but i mean well is good too you you can do your well in a minute but there's also a but attached and the but is that these things that you purchased retained value you could cash out and that's the thing that like the new digital era of magic does not line up with whatsoever. Real magic cards, you cash them out. You can sell them back to people. A lot of times your investment is rewarded. My investment certainly has been. The vast majority of magic cards I've purchased have appreciated over time. Magic online, it's a little bit less certain whether you're going to get that same appreciation. I'd say almost certainly not, given the state of things where they are now. But still, they functioned as a store of value for a very long time. And the, the economy wasn't bad. If you were to talk dollars and cents, I'm up lifetime on Magic Online without a doubt. And a lot of that is winning, but a good portion of it is also economy and just being able to sell my cards, which I have now done. I don't own any Magic Online cards. There's a period where I own basically every card on Magic Online. You know, a few years ago when the writing was on the wall with Arena, I sold my whole collection for, I think, $9,000 is what I got at the time. And I was very happy with that cash out, uh, especially given how much enjoyment those cards have brought me over the years. But what's the what's the cash out plan here? Like, could you theoretically sell your account? I think so. I, I think there's probably a black market for that. It's probably a little sticky. Maybe you risk the account being banned, but there's there's probably some way to do it. It's it's, it's for it's like stairs, pennies though. It's for like it's, pennies on the dollar though. It's stairs and it's pennies on the dollar. Yes, both both true. I don't know, man. It just feels like they don't know how to appropriately value this good. And when you look at it in comparison to other digital goods, which you could purchase besides asinine things like apes or something like that, that just, (laughs) you know, don't make any sense. But in comparison to things that actually have gameplay value and, you know, what experience you're getting out of it, it's not worth it. It's not even close to worth it. And this does nothing to fix that. Okay. Two things. I'm not going to, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on either, but the first one is, was Magic Online successful? Yes. However, it likely could have been more successful if oh, they went a different yeah. direction. Hell yeah. And the a little add-on to that is that, like, yeah, you and I both made money off of Magic Online, but I also feel for, like, you know, the average player that's not true, right? But whatever. Yeah. No, no. Probably true. But now nobody makes money off Arena. Like, it's, it's almost nobody. Like, you could win an Open or whatever, but, like... How how many people have actually come out ahead on that exchange? Not many. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Is that it's you're you're way more likely to be able to make money off of Magic Online than you are Arena. Right. The other thing is that technically, Magic Arena is a free to play game, right? So you're talking about like, oh, how many hours have I gotten off of Lost Ark and blah blah blah. Well, you can do the same thing on Magic Arena. So I don't think it's fair to compare like this fifty dollar wild card bundle versus like a free to play game when the $50 wildcard bundle, like a, a more apt analogy is like, you know, what kind of stuff can you get in Lost Ark for $50? Like how much yeah. value do you get there, right? I agree, Jerry, I agree with you 100%. And maybe my explanation doesn't reflect that. But what I, that $50 purchase is available. And the amount of increase that I get in gameplay experience for that $50 purchase, I mean, it, it's just like, it's almost meaningless. Like it's only designed to appeal to the people who really want to sink money into it. The core game of magic is one of deck building and collection. It's about, you know, building a appropriate deck for the metagame. And it just doesn't function without serious expenditure. It doesn't function as the game is designed. Now, does it function with like this outdated antiquated approach to 
magic. Sure. It's like kind of quaint in its desire to cling to Richard Garfield's platonic idea of the game where you buy a few packs and you put together what you have and you play it with your friends. But that's not how this works. It's that's, not how any of it works. That's only relevant if everyone else is playing under the, the same stipulation. Right. And th- they try and fix that, right? They do that by monkeying with the ladder and making sure you get opponents with like similar win rates and similar buy-in and then look at states, the state of the ladder as it stands right now and how much people are complaining about what that has done to the quality of play. There's just no good play experience left on Magic Arena because you've monkeyed with it to such an extent to try and make this platonic ideal work. Yeah, I, I I just want to to point out that like in theory you can grind limited to like get your constructed decks, which is somewhat analogous to like grinding Lost Ark to be post game or whatever. You know, like that you can't you can uh, fast track that a little bit by purchasing in Lost Ark and similar games, but it's it's not the same as just like buying a deck outright, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that like even in terms of if you're just looking at this like, oh, it, it's it's whale bait type of stuff like oh, this. You're already like very enfranchised. You just need some extra wild cards and you don't want to like buy packs to do it for whatever reason. Like maybe this is a slightly better thing for you. Like you're, you're still not getting anything or I mean, you are you're getting something, but it's not a lot. And it's basically worse than what they're already offering, which is like kind of the ridiculous point. If it was like you know, 20 and four, 20 and five or something like that. I'd be like, okay, you know, now I have like a choice to make when it comes to like how I want to fill out the rest of my decks. Yeah. So here's the, here's the thing. Like all all of your points are fair, but, but who is the person that has the complaint about the state of the arena economy? It's the person who is trying to play the game like we do. I believe if if you're just doing this thing where you're just like accumulating cards and doing your dailies and you get more and more, you don't really, you probably don't have a complaint right now, right? Like you're just fine and you're playing the game as a video game and that's fine. You do if, if you have like previously wanted to play the game a different way and we're like priced out, you know? Maybe. I I think like the theoretical person I'm talking about probably doesn't even have an awareness that there is like the higher yeah. tier metagame yeah. and you know they're not familiar with our standard tier list over on arena decklist.gg is what i would say that that's all well and good and those people are probably content with the way things are so when you make an announcement that you're going to put forth on dailymtg.com which again i think that's like the home for enfranchised people i i don't know that just random person is showing up to the daily mtg stream at four in the afternoon on a Thursday, I, it's it's just people like us, and that's what gets the conversation moving. That's when Twitter stuff spikes. It's from people like us, so you have to know that. And when you say, "Here's an announcement about the state of the arena economy," who are you announcing to? Like, who do you think is going to be impacted by this? It's it's only people who are trying to play in a way that resembles the experience of constructed magic that you're speaking to at that moment. I believe if you want to speak to other people, you should find a better way to do it. That's, that's not the channel you should be using to announce things like this. So you've mistargeted your audience and the audience you are speaking to is virtually guaranteed to be put off by what you're putting forth. It just shows a complete lack of understanding of who you're speaking to. I I do agree with all that. Although obviously there's like the subsection of people too, who are like, well, I thought about getting into arena, but everyone says the economy's bad or whatever. So like maybe if it was like, oh, people are positive about the economy now, like maybe it is relevant for that player. But yeah, I, I mostly agree it is people who are like, I would like to play, you know, constructed on here. And like this is I, I am hampered by the amount of wild cards I have, right? Yes. That's that's who I think you're speaking to at this moment. And like the the vibe here is is just one of delivering bad news like who who in the room seemed happy that they were putting forth this information to people this okay so this announcement didn't have to be a stream right because no. ultimately you're not changing much and you certainly should not have like announced the announcement if anything it's like okay an, an article goes up where it's like hey we we heard your pleas for the economy so now we're putting like this wild card bundle in the store if you want to purchase things that way or whatever like they, they could have done that. And granted, they did talk about a lot of stuff, but I think a lot of the stuff that they did talk about ended up like kind of blowing back on them anyway. So I think that maybe they thought that this was going to be good news, but it's really not. 
I that just tells me that they're so in their own heads at this point that they they can't actually extrapolate what the average user is going to feel about this. Or I am so in my own head that I don't even know who they're talking to. And I've just completely lost the thread of, you know, how I would manage magic as a business. And I'm clueless and they can continue to laugh at me and ignore me. Like basically they have been doing for the past year as as they make more and more money than ever. So, you know, there you go. Maybe they're right. I think the the big point to this is how they talked about why they don't have dusting which is the yeah, the act of, the act of like blowing up your old cards or bad cards or whatever for a pittance in order to purchase new cards so like in Hearthstone's like four rares to build a new rare right and they're like well opening packs is exciting so we want people to open packs and then we just we we didn't want people to suffer like the anxiety and uh, potential choice paralysis of not knowing what to dust so we front loaded the dusting by like giving you wild cards as you open packs and a opening packs is not super exciting on arena I mean, at maybe, all maybe it is for some folks if you're if you're trying to play constructed and you have like these budget decks and whatever but even then it's like yeah it's it's not really if, if opening packs was exciting i feel like they would not have like rare wild cards take up the slot of a rare right because like part of the excitement is opening the very specific thing that you want that you envisioned and then yep. You open the wild card, and in theory, it is the thing that you wanted, but like that just goes to your collection of like things that I can't spend, right? And it ends up kind of being a negative because it wasn't the thing that you wanted, even though it technically is. But like Hearthstone does a reasonable job at that by having like the foil cards kind of mean something, you know? It's like the cosmetics yeah. are just like buy this with cash, whereas in Hearthstone, it's like you can spend like a ton of dust to craft golden cards. But if you get like a golden version of a cool card, like the players will use it. They probably won't dust it. You know what I mean? They'll probably Yu-Gi- dust like- Yu-Gi-Oh is pretty much the same way. Okay. Slightly different, but- Shadowverse was basically like that too, where it was like, you you could in theory dust these, but like the return was also not very good on it. You know? So you would just like dust your normal versions and like play with whatever foil versions you got. Uh, so it kind of like made acquiring those pretty exciting because they were like, hard to get and you can just buy them with money and also like, you know, buying cosmetics with money, like doesn't feel great, at least like for foil cards. I think like the pets and avatars and sleeves and stuff like that. I think that's cool. Or backgrounds, backgrounds would be dope. But yeah. And then like the Hearthstone made their legendary cards, like actually matter and be very important and pretty exciting when you do open one and you just don't get the same thing when it's like the the mythic wild cards are easier to come by than like the actual mythic. And you just need like a shit ton of those mythics to play your decks anyway. So yeah, opening packs is like not that fun. And I, they're just like, yeah, it's, you know, opening packs in real life is fun. Therefore it is online too. And it's like, that's not really true. And like, I don't, I don't know why you would say that. Uh, And the other thing is like you front loaded giving players dust, but not a lot of it. Right. So like, that's also kind of a problem. It, it just like adds to the problem of like, I have all of these like terrible cards in my collection and I have nothing to do with them. And like, that is a feel bad. And a lot of people pointed out on Twitter, like it is actually pretty fun to go through and like blow up the stuff that you don't want yep. in order to craft new stuff. Right. Yep. Just like exchanging resources and making those decisions is like pretty fun. Just went through it and Yu-Gi-Oh! It was, it was great. I had a great time. It might've been actually my favorite part of the game, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked that that part of the account management once I was like kind of enfranchised. But like I do remember uh, starting Hearthstone and like buying some packs and having to go through with my roommate and being like, I don't know the history of this card or like what decks this has been in or whatever. Part of that is because like there, there just wasn't a lot of Hearthstone content like that. You know, it's like yep. I wasn't going to go back and watch everyone's stream and there weren't a lot of websites with history or anything, which Magic has a lot of, right? Like I could just Google any card and it could tell me. Uh, if basically if it's playable or not. So it's it's really not that hard to figure out like what is safe or what isn't, or even just like as the player getting to decide what kind of cards you like and don't like are. I agree. I, I agree 100%. Here, here's a question for you that you can't possibly answer, but I want to ask you anyway. Do you believe that they believe what they're saying? Do you Basically, do you think this talk around dusting is... 
double speak designed to pass off an idea to us that they know yeah. is is not good or do do they really feel this way it's it's interesting because i find it really difficult to believe that they would come up with like this elaborate backstory of like why they did things the way they did it's just like i i understand them trying to be like opening packs in real life is fun therefore opening packs online should be fun and also like we don't want you to blow up your collection so we're going to give you dust up front like that in and of itself like sounds pretty cool it's just like the implementation of it is very bad but they're just sticking to like their original interpretation of it and not really willing to budge on it it's like what so every time you open a hearthstone pack like say it's say it's on average like 200 dust or something or like 150 dust whatever it is and you open a pack of magic on on arena and it's like half that it's like okay you front loaded us the dust but like not really you know like or that, that doesn't really solve the problem of like we're still short on wild cards and want a way to like well i feel like i should have more wild cards than the thousand dollars i spent has given me you know what i mean yeah and the reason for that is cuz like yeah they they front loaded the dust but they just didn't give you any of it the the vault is abysmal Right. It's it's so minuscule and for nothing. Blake even mentioned at some point, it's like, oh, well, if you want to, you know, add to your vault progress, just pre-craft the commons and uncommons before you open packs. And it's like, A, there's not an easy way to do that. B, that is just bullshit. And why wouldn't you just implement a thing for me to like trade up on wild cards? Right. Like that is a bug, not a feature. 100%. And it, it, it preys on information gaps, which I hate. There's a principle in design, and I I don't know exactly like where it comes from. I've definitely heard it stated before. Is it stairs? Because that feels pretty relevant here. Sta- I mean, stairs does feel relevant. Uh, a lot of arena is stairs for sure. But there's something else that like basically you can't anticipate how a user is going to interact with your creation. But once the user has shown you how you how they do interact with it, it's on you to adapt to that. Right. Like it is your duty as the developer to say, okay, this didn't hit the way we thought it did. You don't double down and jam it back at them and say, this is the way it works. Why don't you see this? You go, oh, well, they don't see it that way. Now we adapt to the way our users are using this thing. This this and happens it, all the time when we make content too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that uh, that's that's good. That's part of the iterative process and understanding your user base. And I, I think it's how you be a good developer is, is to be receptive to these type of things in your users and always understand how people want to engage with your product and update your own preconceptions of how they're going to do it. Don't tell them they have it wrong. It's your job to present the correct product to them. Instead, and, instead, it's like the Skinner meme, right? It's like, am, yep. I, am I the one that is out of touch? Nope. Like, no, it's, no, it's the, the kids, kids are wrong. It's just like you're, you're a company with, I don't know, 50, 100 people maybe working on whatever this this part of the thing right and then you're just like well the thousands of people that are telling us that we're wrong like they're clearly all wrong and it's like well no i mean like brian said like they're just interacting with the thing that you gave them and it it's so sad because like so many of the individuals involved with all this are just people like i have so much respect for and people i know to be good smart humans and like people who generally get it but when you're in like a corporate dome and you're just like taking meeting after meeting around these things and you know, the company line has been drawn and your job is to emphasize that company line. It's, it's not brain, like it's not sinister, like brainwashing, but it becomes brainwashing. Like you just begin to see things that way and you, you internalize it and you justify it. And so much of the messaging that gets put out is that's why I asked you this question, because I I believe that they believe everything they're saying. And I believe that these people love magic and they're not out here trying to purposefully deceive anyone. It's just like they've they've got a company agenda. They know how the line is going to be set and they've sort of rationalized around it. And that's really hard to swallow as a consumer. Like it just, it's easy to swallow once. And then the second time you start to go, uh, and then the third time you're like fucking enough. Like how many times do we have to see the exact same patterns play out? And I I guess forever, I guess we'll just do this forever. Let's, let's look at it the other way, right? Where it's like, okay, these are the things that they believed initially. 
And now mm-hmm. they're getting this feedback and they're receptive to it. And the answer to some amount of this is like introduce dusting. And it's like, okay, how do we pitch this to higher ups in order to get the go ahead to do this? And it's like, well, what is the end result of this? And it's like, well, it's probably going to, you know, cost them money. Cost us money. Yeah. So how do you justify that? And it's like, well, I guess you justify we, it by long-term retention and yeah, goodwill those, and things like that, that. We know that those aren't selling points. I know, I, but they should be. They they have to be for any successful business. Like they just have to be if you want a long-term success. But I agree. Everything I see about what Wizards puts out nowadays suggests to me that those are no longer the selling points. Right. So then when you have to go back to the consumer with those criticisms, how do you justify it? And it's, you justify it with the initial reasons why you did it. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think that that's fine. Like it, it makes sense from their point of view why they would do it that way. It's and it's like, probably even going to work a lot of the time. Like a lot of people are going to be like, okay, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. And yeah. you'll get them on board. And, you know. Which is, which is why I think it might have been better for them to just like do this low key. It's yep. like, this is, this is a way we are taking steps to address the economy. Here's a way to do it. Here is your wildcard bundle in the store. And that's all you have to say. You don't have to try and explain the hows and whys because your consumers are pretty smart too. Yep. And this just just drop the bundle. Just put it in the store and don't say anything. Honestly, like yeah. what's what's the downside of that? It's so much better than just getting eviscerated when like it's, it's been bring years. Out people who clearly don't want to put out this messaging. Like it's it's so clear that they're just defeated by it. It's been years of people complaining about the economy, and now this is like an an official recognition from them. Of like, okay, we hear you. We recognize that these are pain points, and they they laid out some of the pain points that they know are true. And then it was just like, here's a thing that we are labeling a solution, but like when you actually look at it, it it's clearly not a solution at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I, they continue to like sort of shoot themselves in the foot, whereas this could have just been a small step forward because it is a step forward. It's a very, very small one, but like it's a product that is going to be useful in some scenarios and some people will be grateful for it. And it does clean up some things. So like I'd rather have it be there than not have it be there. It just doesn't fix anything though. And for those type of products, you can't say, oh, here's our big announcement about the arena economy. Just never going to fly. Right. The The funniest thing to me was talking about the like choice paralysis and anxiety of, of people dusting their old cards. And they did also mention that people have anxiety about spending their wild cards. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how is that your justification for not having dusting? If the system that you implemented also produces the same thing, but worse, because like, at least if you like dust a card and then you have to recraft it later, or, you know, maybe, maybe the card becomes good again because something uh, gets printed that makes it good or whatever, at least then you have the option to like undo some of your mistake, right? Like you get a 25% return. So it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's just like sunk costs is, is so much less of a burden. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. One more thing that came to mind just because we talked about lost Ark a bunch. Lost Ark was actually just recently, and I, I am not at the absolute highest tier of the game yet, but they were facing some controversy among people who are because there's like a content gap at the the very, very tippy top of your potential leveling. Uh, you sort of have to grind a lot for materials to unlock the latest content that they put out. People were really upset about it. Apparently they made a similar mistake in the Korean launch of Lost Ark and they lost a lot of players due to this dead zone. Yeah. And so this whole thing kind of gains momentum. Prominent people in the community were like, this is no good. Uh, the end result's going to be bad. We're going to lose a lot of players. Please fix this. Do you know what Amazon, one of the most just ruthless consumer unfriendly uh, companies on the planet went forth and did? They said, y'all are right. We need to adjust some things. We're going to add all these resources and make it easier to get through these points. Yes. And that was it. I, that was that was the end of the situation. And I don't know how satisfied like the very top tier of Lost Ark players was with the solution. Maybe it's the same thing where like the really, really enfranchised players like you and I, when it comes to magic, are still upset about the state of the solution. To me, it read very well and it read as acknowledging the problem and actually taking steps to address it. Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to hear if any of our listeners are at that top, very tippy top of Lost Ark and want to give me some feedback on that. But it, it just seemed very... 
very different. And this is my experience with more and more of the games I'm spending a lot of time on, things like TFT and uh, Flesh and Blood, is that the developers come forward and say, yeah, we, we blew this one. We got to do better. And uh, here's how we're going to do it. And it happens over and over. And it just like, I, I, it makes me realize I'm in an abusive relationship with Wizards of the Coast. And I'm just like getting all of this bad stuff forced down my throat and not getting any forgiveness or adjustment ever. And all of these other games I'm playing are doing this all the time. So, Well, let's talk about Mort Dog for a second. Because sure. I was thinking about this dude too and his relationship to the community and how it's like, basically widely beloved, like how he interacts with the community and everything, right? Like you just have like these detailed like launch notes or patch notes or whatever. And you, it like, it's cool that it's like, oh, there's very clear like open lines of communication, right? But it's also, you never have to ask whether or not you think that he like buys the bullshit he's saying, Mm -hmm. right? And that is the question with wizards because they come out with all these explanations and people are like, well, your explanations are also bullshit. And they're just like, well, those are our explanations. And it's like, what is happening, right? Like this is an effort for them to be more communicative, but it it's not though. Yeah. It just misses the mark. And that's not like, again, that's not to say I've never seen Mortog double down on something I disagree with. I've, I have seen that happen, but I know he believes it. Like, I don't question that for a second. There's, there's no like lack of integrity there. It's just, we see this thing fundamentally different. And I, I think there's always room in design for two people to just have yeah, you know, competing course. sensibilities. And that's fine that we don't see this thing eye to eye, but I don't, I don't question whether he believes it. Like, and, I don't think he's trying to sell me something. And you know that he's willing to back down or admit he's wrong. Correct. Correct. I, and I can believe him for that reason because he has backed down on other things and admitted, mis- admitted mistakes and faults and embarrassment in some scenarios. You know, I remember one of the most recent patch notes he talked about, they, they had basically nerfed this trait many, many, many times throughout its lifespan. Basically every patch they had nerfed it. And he's like, I am legitimately embarrassed how strong we launched this. I have no idea how we made this mistake. <laughs> and it, it was like, yeah, you're right. But like, I appreciate you saying that. I don't, I don't know how you got there either, but I'm, I'm glad you acknowledge it. And that gives me faith. They won't do the same thing again. So. Yeah. That's rad. Some other stuff. Uh, I, I took some notes, so I don't know. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but uh, one of the things I did not like overall is that there's just like too many rares and mythics in alchemy and mm-hmm. you also like can't acquire the cards through drafting. So you just have to buy packs or spend all your wild cards. And they talked about like how they knew that uh, entry into historic was a high barrier to entry and that if you had been playing for a long time, maybe it's it's a lot easier because you have like a collection from some of these older sets and everything and Rather than just being like, oh, yes, this is a problem. We're going to do something about it. It was just like, well, it's the same thing with modern. You know, it's just like you need to spend a bunch of money to get in. Uh, That's not a direct quote, but. An implied quote. Yeah, that was that was not great. You know, it doesn't sound great. It's basically just like, oh, you want to you want to play historic because like standard sucks or alchemy sucks or whatever. And just like spend thousands of dollars. It's probably not even a thousand dollars. Like a thousand dollars probably doesn't even get you there. So. It, it, it's just kind of like ridiculous where even if they identify the problem, they're, they're still not offering up a viable solution. Can we do a little fun exercise? It's, I'm going to ask you to do some math on the spot. I'm sorry. That's really not a fair thing to ask your co-host to do on a, a, on a, on a podcast. But we have the entire alchemy set now, right? We know, we know the breakdown of rarity. I guess, uh, yeah. I want to know if I wanted four of every card in alchemy and I used the ability to just purchase wild cards, how much would I spend? Now, theoretically, you'd never do that way, do it that way. If you want four of everything, you'd be way better off using the rarity protection. But I'm, I'm just curious if that's the way for whatever reason, I'm like, I, you know, maybe I think I'm only going to play a little bit of alchemy and I only want specific cards, but then it turns out I want more cards and then I want more cards and it just Good snowballs God. where I always spend them this way. Right, how much is it going to cost? Hold on, hold on. So they talked about how the first alchemy drop was kind of like a double size drop because they okay. they wanted to like launch the format and they're kind of doing it with two sets or whatever. And then sure. going forward, they're going to be about 30 cards. So like, hold on, let me count how many cards are here. No, it is 30. Uh, okay. So there are five mythics. Okay. There are 20 rares. Okay. So all we really care about is mythic and rares. You can ignore the other cards in the set. So if I need to get 20 mythics and... 
80 rares. This is, there's five uncommons and no, like, what the hell? How is the, almost the entirety of alchemy rare? It's a good question. Uh, so it's, it's like 250 balls for a playset, almost. No, it's, it's gotta be more than that. For a single playset, you're saying? Yeah, what, for one playset. So then you, you like three or four X that. Well, it's got, it's gotta be five X, right? Cause you get, you get four mythics for each 50 ball. Oh, right. Yeah. So you, you overshoot if you, well, no, cause I was saying you need to two X the fifties. So you, if you get, if you spend a hundred dollars, you'll get 24 rares and eight mythics. Yeah. So you get four extra rares and three extra mythics. So that's, that's why it's a little under $400 probably. I don't know, man. That's, that's a lot for a 30 card set. Compared to, compared to the, compared to the historic set. anthologies where it's like 50 bucks and you get all this stuff. Yep. So yep. someone asked that question is just like, yo, can I buy a set of alchemy? And he's like, uh, I don't remember ex- his exact answer is like, I mean, yeah, that's a, a thing that we could possibly do this. Basically it was like, his answers were like, that is a thing that we could technically do. We're not discussing it right now. It's not like a, a thing that we were trying to move forward on. Or it was like the technology doesn't exist yet, which is there. Like we kind of want to do it, but can't yet in the case of like, setting your favorite basic lands, for example. Like that is a thing that is upcoming. In the case of this very simple feature that should have been clear, everyone would have wanted from day one. Yeah. The technology can't do it yet. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know, man. No, don't play alchemy. Okay. So here's, here's, I guess we're going to talk about this right now because it, like, this is the topical thing is like the entire alchemy thing just got previewed. Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, we could talk about these cards for constructed and it's just like, I, I don't want to. I just don't no, want to. I don't either. I don't want to encourage people to play this format, uh, which is a shame because it it made for a pretty interesting event. Uh, I don't know how much of that actually had to do with alchemy. I think standard would have been just as interesting. Stand, of an event. Standard would have been gas. It would have been better in my mind because it's like, okay, well now this. Because it's real. Yeah. This format that is real is moving forward. And also like this new alchemy set just comes out, which potentially changes stuff. I mean, it's only 30 cards, but like with 20 rares and five mythics, it's effectively a a set, you know, that are designed to change things. Like that's their purpose is to change things and then be nerfed and then make you buy new things. Right. Uh, yeah. The uh, whole thing doesn't work. So Top to bottom, it, do- it does not work. Uh, also you can't, you can't draft alchemy, right? So mm-hmm. that pipeline is just shut off for no good reason. And that was one of the things where I was like, yeah, in theory we could do this, but we kind of want things to be like, you know, similar to a tabletop or whatever, but then it's like you're using that as a justification for your digital format with a bunch of weird stuff. It's like, uh, yeah, this doesn't really make sense. Yeah. The, the next math I would like, I'm not doing this one. I'm not asking you to do it. If someone is just like bored, wants a project, we have our standard tier list up on arena decklist.gg. I want to know what I would spend if I just bought those standard decks using the. Well, rare mythic distribution method in in our discord someone was talking about like one of the orzov decks where it was like it's currently 47 rares Mm -hmm. and the tabletop price is mostly 150 but then two copies of meat hook massacre make it like 270 okay uh so it's like okay yeah that's not this is what i mean it's stapled to the price of real like that's how they got to these numbers i promise you it's stapled to the price of real magic where you can go oh yeah that kind of tracks but i can sell those meat hook massacres and like meat hook massacre even seems like a fine card to buy and have in the future assuming it isn't printed into the ground which is like a whole different conversation that we don't even bother having anymore but it it just doesn't track it's not the same equation no i mean in in theory a booster is like a dollar right but like the cards are so much harder to come by even at that rate. Yep. So goddamn dude. Uh, yeah. Can't, can't draft alchemy. It, it didn't seem like it was a hard no, you know, it was like they talked about like, Oh, maybe doing like some seal or, or doing some drafts or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, where they would just put these random alchemy cards in sets, but it's like, they're clearly not designed for that. And they're just like all mythics. So like, I mean, you just can't do that. But you could make them bon- like it could all be bonus stuff. If you only cared about actually like making your environment better for digital players, you could just have this be an add-on into the standard pack of arena cards. And every now and then an alchemy rare or mythic replaces your common. Yeah. 
Uh, there you go. Like you just created this new format designed to meet the needs of your arena players and you threw them a little bonus and you didn't squeeze that tiny bit more cash out of them. And you know and what? You know what? Opening packs kind of becomes way more fun, way more fun because you have this like super random thing that might happen. Yep. Versus like you can you can literally never open a foil in a pack, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, I, it, again, like just the experience of getting into Yu-Gi-Oh and like actually having fun opening the packs there. They do this cool thing where the cards you open in a given pack open the right to further open curated packs if you so choose to spend your gems on them. And the curated packs have just like they're half random cards, half cards focused on the card that unlocked the curated pack. So you open uh a dinosaur card and then half of the curated pack will be like cards designed to play well with the dinosaurs. And it just leads to this cool snowball where you're constantly be like being led to new secret packs. And if you craft a card that has a secret pack attached to it, you get a free copy of that secret pack every single time. And I don't, it's just like night and day, how different the experience is, how much more friendly to consumers it is, how much more fun it is top to bottom magic's the better game and it just like throws away that edge constantly yeah that sounds cool to me it uh, is, it's versus, very cool versus like the vault thing where it's like yeah you you get the wild cards and in theory that should like really help your deck or whatever but like the the choice paralysis and anxiety from spending wild cards is so much worse i assure you than like what to disenchant yep it absolutely is because I, I mean it's even just like bad right where it's like arena is set up where if you think that you are going to maybe purchase more packs in the future, you are way better off doing them now before yep. spending your wild cards. Yep. Right? So that's it, what gets us as like content creators when we want day one stuff. It's why like we're closed off from the the sealed and draft avenues. That's why we have to just dump a money in a bunch of money in up front because you want to maximize your opens before you dip into your wild cards. Yeah. Yep. And I I did just purchase some stuff for, for content for streaming. I would have never done it if I wasn't streaming, but I wanted to like try and port Shota's alchemy deck into standard because mm-hmm. uh, the, I don't know, the one and quad R creativity, whatever business card seemed really sweet, you know? And yep. I was like, well, I, I don't have enough wild cards, so I'm going to have to open packs. And now I just feel bad because I already spent wild cards on other stuff that I could potentially be opening now. You know, so if anything, it makes me like less likely to spend money because I was like, well, I know that like some cost is is a real thing, but like people don't necessarily think logically. And I certainly wasn't in that moment, you know, might have been like, OK, I, I think logically about this and it's like over and done with. And now I should spend the money. But like a lot of people are just gonna be like, well, I'm not going to spend because I already use wild cards. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the way I'm trending is I'm just spending less and less because I'm getting more and more disillusioned with the product. And I feel I feel like there's no chance of it turning around, especially when this is what you deliver on your big announcement. So, right. yeah, this is the time when you finally address that, like the economy has an issue or at least like the player base has an issue with the economy. And and this is what you deliver. It's just uh, not great. But yeah, uh, another thing I noted was that they did talk about Historic's high buried entry, but no real mention of alchemy also being like that as well. Like, I guess they had some understanding of like, if people are trying to play standard, then alchemy is maybe not as big of a leap as trying to get into historic or whatever. But then you're coming out with eight of these sets that are 20 mythics or 20 rares and five mythics, which is just as much as a normal standard set. So it's like alchemy is twice as big as standard effectively, because they also talked about how they just give away common and uncommon wild cards freely, which which was a good thing. Uh, they, yeah. they talked about how you didn't want to be like, it felt bad to be like an uncommon wild card away from a deck or whatever. So they just give out a bunch of them. And that's why they're not doing the like, you know, trade a hundred uncommons for a rare or whatever. So I like the fact that they're like, oh, I'm freely giving out commons and uncommons. But then you're like making these sets with no commons and uncommons. <laughs> right. Yeah. Kind of misses the point. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting about this is like the tone of this conversation is like, so negative and i can imagine it can be hard to listen to sometimes if you just like want magic stuff and good news it is and we're we're trying to move away from this i swear to god no but you know what's funny though is that like even if the tone is negative i i like having these conversations because i do find them interesting like the the business side of these things fascinates me and i all the decisions you have to make in order to make these products successful like do i think they're doing the wrong things 
Absolutely. Do I still enjoy having these conversations, even if I'm like animated and upset with their decisions? I do. I think they're really interesting to talk about. I get that's not everyone's cup of tea. And so if this isn't for you, you know, you're always welcome to skip an episode of the podcast. Fast forward. I don't don't blame anyone who does that. It's just like I... I like talking about this stuff with you. I think your your take on it is interesting. I, I hope some people find my take on it interesting. And if you don't, that's all good too. We'll we'll get back to the magic cards eventually. Yeah, not these alchemy cards though. No, not those. Definitely not those. Uh they did see that they are investigating different ways to distribute cards, which cool. Pack inserts is the one that I think, you know, I'd I'd really like to see. Uh they they got asked about that. And what was the response? They <laughs> They said that they wanted everything that a paper player would open in a booster to be relevant to them, which is just uh, the most ludicrous shit ever. I, and this I, is what I mean. Like, listen, these are I, the answers. I could be I could be misquoting or whatever, but, okay, it, but okay. like from I, I saw kind of like confirmation on that because you know the stream was an hour long or whatever. It's hard to just rememberize everything verbatim or whatever. But, yeah. You got cats to feed. You got, you got other distractions going on. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like, well, what are the ad cards? What are commons and uncommons for most paper players? You know, what are like the random tokens that people just throw away and stuff? It's just like, what? Also, don't you want to convert your paper players to arena players? If they're, yeah, if they're just make like, it relevant to them. Otherwise it's just an added. Like if you're a Pokemon player and you don't care about the, the codes that come in Pokemon stuff, you just get to sell them. You, you don't get hurt by it. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they don't sell for very much either. So no. it's, it's not like it's really hurting their bottom line. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see that the tact, uh, the Pokemon TCG takes because they've, they've had an online platform for a long time. It was more akin to magic online than arena where stuff was mobile, a lot of stairs, like just tons of stairs with basically every part of card mobility across the old online Pokemon TCG. I remember I tried it and like, couldn't figure it out. And it was like, this is a game for literal children. Like magic oh, is so complicated. Magic is a children's trading card game, like quote unquote, haha, very funny or whatever. But like that is literally what Pokemon is supposed to be. So like, yeah, what the hell is this? Once you figured it out, it was, it was pretty robust and it, it was pretty good and you could do all the things you wanted to do, but you had to go through like back channels and just constant stairs all over the place. So I am really interested to see what they do with their vision, what all the press coming out about it, is just like, you're just going to have all the cards you need. It's not going to be hard to get what you want. And if this is another game, just like, you know, Magic has two established competitors and some burgeoning ones. The two established ones, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. If both of those games are just coming out and being like the most generous versions of themselves as their online client, and Magic is just like, no, we're never giving you anything. And then like, you know, in fourth place is Flesh and Blood, who's like, we don't even want to mess with online. Like, we we want to be a card game. So how does how does Arena possibly succeed when all the other competitors are just like, this is a bad idea, don't do things this way, and Arena doubles down on that way of doing things? Yeah, it's more than doubles down at this point. We're well past double down. Right, right. But shit, man. I mean, we're, we're at 55 minutes, so... Uh, uh, that's that's a lot of words. Uh, you want to do like ten minutes on modern and the modern tier list because we we've got some reps in. I feel like we have some interesting stuff that we know and we can, can kind of give people an idea of what our modern experience has been like thus far. Yeah, I mean we can. I I was mostly just willing to call it like we <laughs> okay. That's we, an option. We were you know considering you know oh what are we going to do for the second half and it's like no it turns out we have a lot to complain about so. Yeah, more complaints than I would have anticipated, actually. I thought uh, we were going to move through this pretty quickly. Again, sorry. We're we're actively trying to not be as negative, but, like, this is this is news, you know? Yeah. But we can talk about modern real quick if you want to. I mean, my experience was mostly playing, like, the matchups we did, which, from my side, are not super relevant because I was... Because you're tuning. Yeah, I was tuning, right? So I'm like not playing real decks. Obviously, I was playing against you with a real deck, so that definitely matters. And yep, love that edge. Thanks for that. I'm I'm looking at all the deck lists that come out of Magic Online. I'm seeing the things that are said on Twitter and all that jazz, but I'm not in the trenches necessarily, uh, although I will be at some point because I need to put the finishing touches on stuff so I can actually poop out an article. 
Yeah, I mean, most of my information comes from a few games I've played and just closely following what's been happening. But I, I just think it's fascinating that there's this major, major ban in Loris, just an absolute pillar of the format. And then I started gathering my data and getting ready to do my tier list based on my own intuition and the results that have come. And I sit down to do it and I'm like, nothing has changed. Almost nothing has changed. Like I, I made essentially two changes to the modern tier list after the Luris ban. I replaced the John Saga deck with Teamer Rhinos and I swapped Boros Prowess for Boros Burn, which you argued I should have done in the first place. Maybe that was correct. And now I think it's clear that Boros Burn is a huge, huge uh, advantage over Boros Prowess. I think Boros Prowess leaned a lot harder on Luris. Yeah. But for one of the pillars of the format to be taken out and it's a stay so, so close to what it was before, I think it just further emphasizes the fact that this was the best available ban. Like there was no financial impacts. The format only got better, more interesting. Deck building options got expanded. Of the gameplay feels better. It's got less of that repetitive vibe where you always go to the Loris game state before you do anything else. So I... I think it's just a slam dunk ban, and I think Modern's in one of its healthiest places it's been in a very long time. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can point to uh, a certain amount of cards where it's just like, this is showing up way too often, or it's like pretty frustrating or whatever, but, you know, you still look at the format as a whole, it's fairly wide open, and I think that that is the main thing that the Luris ban accomplished, where... A lot of the the best decks are still among the best decks, right? But their metagame share has dipped. Mm-hmm. And maybe like their win percentage has dipped a little bit too. And I think that all of those, yes, are, are more net positive because it brings everything closer in line with the power level and win rates of everything else. And then also potentially opens the door for people to play other stuff and be successful. Because, you know, maybe you could deal with Shadow, but it was like the Luris that killed you in a lot of instances, right? Uh, or you have an easier time just like dealing with random Murktide regions than you do dealing with, with Luris. So I agree with you. It's like you ban a card. It's a huge part of the format. Very little changes on the surface. And it's like absolute perfection, straight up. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's the standard bands. Although it's it's Alrin's Epiphany and Faceless Haven, maybe to a lesser extent, Divide by Zero. But I think those two cards, they they all had replacements, and uh, in some replacements, in some cases, the replacement was just like doing a slightly different thing in the same shell. And uh, others, you know, it was the the Dungeons and Dragons lands, be it Cave of the Frost Dragon or Den of the Bugbear. Those were pretty fine replacements for a lot of what the Faceless Haven stuff was doing. And the format just kind of started on the exact same trajectory it was on previously with the same decks present and then blossomed into this weird standard format that we have now that continues evolving on a week-to-week basis. It has all the pillars of the metagame represented, be it uh, mid-range, aggro, control, and even a little bit of quasi-combo in the mix. So just covering all your bases. And I I think like I, I want to see the people making the band decisions be more cognizant of these opportunities because I do think they come up, especially in, in modern design, they come up more and more frequently. And I, I just don't think there should be any hesitancy around them. I think you make moves like this to bring things closer. And maybe that changes a little bit as paper play gets more and more widespread, but modern is an expensive format. And in, in that format, you have to be really, really careful when you're changing things that you don't just invalidate someone's $1,000 purchase. And this was just done so smoothly with virtually like not a dollar of value lost with the exception of like if you bought the fanciest possible version of Luris, but I'm not even sure that's gone down all that much. So I, I, can, I can check. I had a, a foil normal Luris. Okay. I, I just have the most basic Luris you can possibly get because I I knew this thing wasn't lasting for very long. So that is my sole Luris presently. But I'm I'm curious what like the full art foil versions have done in the <laughs> aftermath of the ban. Uh s- slight dip. <laughs> yes, slight it, dip. It, it went down like five dollars, maybe. It's like the extended art foil one is now sixty-five dollars. Okay. And if you if you have that, you have one copy of it probably and it's, it's just such a good change. I'm so happy to see them make this move. Bans are great when judiciously and thoughtfully applied, and there should probably be more of them in Magic. 
and less alchemies. More bands, less alchemies. That's the key. We would have never needed alchemy if we were just more proactive about doing standard bands is basically the argument I want to make here. Mm, I guess my my normal foil. When did the band happen? No, it's yeah, it's, it didn't even move, dude. It's just been like 10 bucks. Nice. Great investment. So, yeah, another uh, strike in the column of like, the regular foils are not super fancy these days. Like if you can get the extended one or whatever showcase version or whatever, it's like, that is always the one that pops off. Yep. That's been my uh, way of approaching these things. Although I, I have not bought many cards recently. It, it's been a while, but the ones I do buy extended art foils all day, baby. So regular one, six thirty, foil one, nine sixty. Can't go wrong. I mean, at that point it's like, you kind of get the foil for free, you know? Right, free foil, sweet. Game. Good luck.